The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It sounds like I always come in like, we're going to talk about what I want to talk about. So just so you know, I tried to start it with Diana today, and I got nothing. I know. So. And I was like, air quality. So boring. <laughs> Who cares? <you> know? <laughs> How about that air quality, huh? Well, how about the... One thing I'm excited for... Well, okay. Excited is not the word I'm interested in. Yeah. Is Indiana Jones this uh, weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna, I got a hot take about Indiana Jones. So I'm going to share it with you all now. A hot take? Uh, huh? Here comes the hate mail. I believe personally that in the late 90s, if they were going to continue the Indiana Jones franchise in the in the mid to late 90s, they should have made a new Indiana Jones movie with a brand new actor. And I know that sounds crazy because, of course, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. But let me throw this out to you. One of the big influences for Indiana Jones was James Bond. Yes. And a lot of people thought Sean Connery is, is James Bond and no one else ever can be. And now it's very normal that the franchise of Bond continues uh-huh. as the actor changes. And honestly, I would have rather seen 20 Indiana Jones movies with a different actor every three or four movies yeah. than this long, continuous story about Indiana Jones getting old and who yeah. he passes the torch to and all this stuff. I don't know. Haven't seen Dial of Destiny yet as of this recording. <laughs> and, I, and Harrison Ford is untouchable. Like, it, it'd be... It, how could how could you fill his shoes? I mean, in any part. But again, I I think that is only true until you do it, and then you're like, okay, I'm there's a new Indiana Jones. I would just I would take that over this. Myself. I think I agree because we've talked about this before. Is yeah. it, it's like the American James Bond? Right, right. could could have been the American James Bond. Yeah, 
And I kind of like that. But also, like, you know, we have a theater background. We're used to we're more used to and more fine with people being like, this is my production of Hamlet. And it's a different guy playing Hamlet. Like, deal with it. (laughs) It's nice. (laughs) Rarely the same guy. Uh huh. But I think that's kind of a cool idea because then you get to see. I don't want someone to try to be Harrison Ford right. either. Right, of course Like, not. that's what's exactly. good about James Bond is that they yeah. all had their own take. Yeah. Or their own, they brought something to the table yeah. for James Bond that made him very distinct for their James Bond. Right. Their particular Bond. So I think that would have been cool for Jones as well, but... And it's that's not what we did. We it, want to watch him get old and feeble, I guess. <laughs> I don't know well, why. <laughs> I don't know about feeble. That man can take a punch that's still. True. I mean, Harrison Ford could beat my ass. Harrison Ford shows us that, you know, 80 something ain't nothing but a number. He's doing great. He's doing great. He's good at shrinking. He's great well. at shrinking. Speaking of uh, digging up old history. Hmm. How's that? Hmm. Hey, come on. Hmm. We've done worse transitions true. than that. <laughs> Very true. Speaking of things belonging in a museum. I would love a museum of hookups. Yeah. Ooh, just a, like the a museum, whole, of, a museum hookups. of hookups. And it's just like all all these. Actually, it's the Ridiculous Romance Museum. I, I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> it's just all these ridiculous connections. And uh, currently accepting uh, funders, patrons right. for the Ridiculous Romance Museum. Foundation money for. Uh-huh. If and you then we'll have... finally have Ridicucon as our first oh my event. God, right. As our ribbon cutting event. Yeah. We'll have to have like, um, you know, an attached hotel or something. Right. Or, I mean, at least one nearby. We'll, no, we'll put gotta it be, somewhere It's nice. got to be part of it because we're going to be responsible for everything that happens in there. Oh, damn. Yeah. And Ridicucon's going to get weird, you know, right? Well, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, but specifically the Ridiculous Romance w- branch. Ugh. The, the track for Ridiculous Romance. Like, it's going to be a lot of hookups, it's I think. going to be some yeah. shit going on. Yep. Yep. It's going to be a real... A real Winneretta Singer web of romances. <laughs> Yay, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. 38 minutes into the record. On our last episode, we told you all about Winneretta Singer slash the Princess de Polignac, who was a patron and champion of the arts and public housing. She bankrolled some of the most iconic classical music and operatic works of our time. Not bad. But in that episode, we kind of skipped over her many lesbian liaisons, the most interesting part. <laughs> you yada, yada, yada over the best yada, part. Yada, yada, yada. But that's just because she hooked up with some really amazing people and everyone that she messed with has a very interesting story and a lot of crazy romances yeah. of their own. And there's a lot of fun overlap and it's complicated going on and it's all worth exploring. Yeah. So we had to make it its own little episode. So join us as we take a marathon tour through Winneretta singer Polignac's Little Black Book. Oh, boy, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. All right, and also we're doing this in order of uh, who Winneretta dated. So okay. in order of who she dated, so that's is, who we'll talk about. This is like a bunch of little, this is almost a whole bunch of mini episodes. Pretty much, yeah. About the individual romances that uh-huh. branched off of everyone that Winneretta dated. <laughs> Basically, yes. A, a real spider web of, of lesbianism. Yeah, it's a Charlie Day conspiracy chart. Right. Uh, get your red thread out and yeah. be ready because... A lot of these names overlap, and years later, <laughs> they had an affair with somebody who also had an affair with somebody, and so on. This is one of those, uh, I think we have our own distinct episode styles. This is one of those Diana 
Yep. Complicated <laughs> names, just so many names. I don't know why I'm always the one. <laughs> I know. I don't think it's the way you research. I think it's just literally the stories you end up with. Maybe. Although I do I do get in Wikipedia rabbit holes where I'm yes, like, let me do. click on this. Let me click on this. Yeah. Let me click on this person. And I yeah. find a lot of things very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. So the first name on our list is Olga de Meyer. Winnaretta was seeing her from 1901 to 1905. Okay. And Olga and Winnaretta had quite a lot in common because Olga also married a prince in 1892. It did not work out and they were divorced in 1899. Oh. A lot like Winnaretta's first marriage. And this is so old. Winnaretta's like mid 30s at this point. Right. She was yeah. born in 1865. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. A month after the divorce was finalized, Olga married a photographer named Adolf de Meyer. Oh, Adolf, a popular uh, name in 1930. Yep. <laughs> Somehow it <laughs> fell off sharply after 1940s. Yeah. Um, but he was a baron. Uh, he could give Olga respectability in society again after her divorce. Okay. okay. And. He was gay, so she could go her own way in sexual relationships. Man, I listen to the story and I'm like, was everyone gay in Europe in the late I mean, (laughs) there was actually somebody who wrote one of these ladies that I'm talking about wrote about like, I think there's more people like me than we're willing to admit. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's very true. Like it was it's really just about like at the time I was more. I guess, especially if you're in Paris and stuff. Sure. Um, you're like a little more free to experiment. Adolf actually wrote in his unpublished autobiography that he told Olga, quote, marriage based too much on love and unrestrained passion has rarely a chance to be lasting, whilst perfect understanding and companionship, on the contrary, generally make the most durable union. Oh, well said. Which I don't disagree, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't say that like, Marriage based on love and unrestrained passion rarely has a chance to be lasting. And just say it's, you know, different strokes uh-huh, for different for folks, different right? Folks. Yeah, that sounds right. And he's like, I definitely like different strokes. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Well, for them, that kind of marriage totally worked because they found true companionship and platonic love, just like the de Polignacs. Okay. So they had a very good relationship. Okay. So not, not uncommon back then for these fancy types, a lesbian uh-huh. and a gay man get married. Right. So they can, you know, they both got their beard, right? Like we are living under the guise of a respectable married couple Mm -hmm. and we're still getting to go get what we want and nobody's jealous. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we mentioned this last time, but they were called lavender or mauve marriages. Sure. So Adolf de Meyer was dubbed the Debussy of photography. He snapped impressive posed portraits of everyone from John Barrymore and Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin. All the way to King George V and Queen Mary. Mm. A lot of fancy names. Mm-hmm. He later became a fashion photographer for uh, little magazines called Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. Hey. In the book De Meyer, his biographer, Philippe Julien, wrote that, quote, without Olga, Adolf would have remained merely a fashionable decorator or a snob who took photographs or a homosexual ballet fan. And indeed, he was all of these. He also points out that Olga was the one who inspired Adolf to learn from great painters and also to get him involved in this world where he ended up at like the two most brilliant courts of this era, Edward VII and the ballet dancer Diaghilev, who we talked about last time. So Adolf de Meyer, because of Olga, ends up in all the right places. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Olga was already an artist's muse, right? She posed for painters. 
uh, Giovanni Baldini, James McNeil Whistler, mm-hmm. if you remember these guys. And they also became a huge influence on Adolf as well. So yeah. really through Olga that Adolf like became yeah, he the got, incredible person that he was. Yeah, apparently like the way he framed his photographs and the way people were posed and yeah. the, the backgrounds like were important. Like yeah. he would find aesthetic places to right. take his pose, you know, stuff like that. And that right. all came from the painters. That yeah. was all inspired She's by like, the painters. Just copy my friends. <laughs> You'll really go places. Uh, Olga was also an amateur woman's champion fencer. She briefly worked for a Paris newspaper writing a society column. She also wrote a novel that was pretty roughly panned by critics. Not great. And of course, like we said, she had her own lovers uh, in her marriage, uh, one of which was Violet Trefusis, who Winnaretta would also date in the 1920s. Oh, geez. Violet was the daughter of Alice Keppel, who was King Edward VII's favorite mistress. And that's kind of funny because Olga was the king's goddaughter. Oh. And in fact... Her mother was a bit of a wild child herself, and some people speculated that Olga was actually King Edward's illegitimate daughter. I mean, checks out to me. I know, right? It should be funny if she was sleeping with the daughter of her mom's boyfriend, (laughs) I guess. Oh, my God. (laughs) Violet was the daughter of King Edward's mistress, and Olga, who dated Violet, Uh was was the the king's goddaughter and maybe his daughter with someone else, not Alice. with someone else. Good Lord. But but I mean, a lot of scholars have decided that's not very likely. Oh, yes. I guess. And Edward did give her a lot of financial and social protection through her life, uh, probably because she was his goddaughter. Uh, but, it, you know, that's what gave rise to the speculation, I guess. OK. So Olga loved to party. Mm-hmm. Kind of a wild party girl. Yep. She's also like a little uh, a little spiteful. She, you yeah. know, she kind of had a, a an attitude, a little bit of a tude. I think the era demanded it a little because yeah. the wit of the day was so much about like being a little sharp bitch. tongues yeah yeah <laughs> kind of being a talking smack yeah and saying oh, the definitely. most cutting thing that you can think of right right before uh, somebody cuts you exactly yeah violet trefusis once wrote that olga had quote a vicious tongue mm. now eventually olga became addicted to cocaine and and this just kind of pushed her further away from respectable society and philippe julian again in the book de meyer wrote that quote People only visited her because they could be sure to find a pipe of opium or a sniff of cocaine. Ooh. Uh, we've all had that friend. <laughs> they only show up right when you see the weed guy. Mm. Now, Olga died on January 6th of 1931, right after a stint in a rehab center. And now, interestingly, Adolf Demeyer, her husband, would die also on January 6th in 1946. He died in Los Angeles. After her death, he got romantically involved with a young man named Ernest Froelich, who he hired as his chauffeur and then later adopted as his son, which is not an uncommon way for gay couples to legally make their loved ones the next of kin yeah. back in the day. Such a strange thing to have to do. Right. But, I mean, it's what you had to do, right? Yeah. If you wanted to leave, if you wanted them to inherit anything. Right. I'm trying to imagine, like, us spending our whole lives together, you and I, mm-hmm. and then... You know, we're 114 years old. The time's coming. Mm -hmm. I say, oh, they won't let me leave you all my stuff. So I'm going to adopt you as my daughter. Like, ah. Very weird. It's so weird. But but that that was the only path they had. That's wild and unacceptable. Very true. Because we're talking about two adults trying to, like, do their life. Yeah. Who cares? And somehow it's less weird for you to be legally father and son than it is for you to be just a couple in love with each other. So that's the story of Olga de Meyer, one of Winnaretta's lovers. Yeah. 
tangled web. Now, her next lover has a little overlap with Olga. She's kind of seeing him at the same time. Okay. And this is Ethel Smith, who is a British composer. Now, Ethel had several love affairs with women throughout her life, but her most enduring relationship was actually with her lover and creative partner, Henry Bennett Brewster, who was likely Ethel's only male partner. But they were just, like, seriously a thing together. Okay. Uh, she once wrote to him, quote, I wonder why it is so much easier for me to love my own sex more passionately than yours. Mm. I can't make it out, for I am a very healthy-minded person. Oh, that poor girl. Which, I mean, it kind of shows you, like, you know, all, all these women had kind of an interesting way of seeing themselves, I guess. Yeah. Because they are products of their time. So right. they see themselves as sexually deviant and perverted in a way, but also, like, it's natural and I don't know why it matters. So that, you know, they're kind of torn. It's a contradiction. Yeah, kind of I mean, it's got to be when you, your own intrinsic nature right. goes against everything you've ever learned about how things are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Then you're stuck in this place of like, wait a minute, this but seems wrong, but also it's not not. I mean, I very much feel in my bones that it's not. Yeah. And still today that's going on. Mm -hmm. Outrageous. Well, Ethel and Henry, you know, were pretty serious together. Serious enough that they wanted to live in a menage a trois with Henry's wife, Julia, who Ethel was super into, had okay. a big crush on. But Julia was not into it. Classic polyamory issue, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so that led to a lot of heartache that made its way into one of Ethel's most famous compositions, the opera The Wreckers. The Wreckers, W-R-E. Wreckers. Yeah, the Wreckers. That's cool. That sounds like a punk band. Right? Apparently she wrote some very uh, great comic operas, so I would oh, love okay. to listen to them. Ethel was the composer and Henry was the librettist. Leah Broad, in her article titled Everything You Need to Know About Ethel Smith's The Wreckers, wrote that Ethel also fell in love with Winnaretta in 1903 while she was composing this opera, and her exciting new passion is as palpable in the opera as her heartbreak is later when Winnaretta started kind of cooling off toward her. And then Leah writes, quote, when Smith had difficulties getting the wreckers performed later down the line, she mused that it was perhaps because everything associated with Winnaretta was fated to end in disaster. Oh, damn. Which kind of speaks to how it must have ended between the two of them. Yeah. A little acrimonious, maybe. Right. <laughs> but, but actually, it might have just been Ethel's gender that really kept her work from being produced, because she was consistently hit with all these double standards by critics. Mm. You know, go figure, the art community. Oh, geez. It's a little male-dominated. When she wrote things that were, like, stirring, these thrilling compositions, they criticized her music for not being soft and womanly. So she would come back and write some delicate melodies, and critics said, well, they're not as good as what the male composers are doing. Uh, so, you know, classic story. It's exhausting no Very bullshit. exhausting bullshit. All that considered, it's not really surprising that Ethel really strongly identified with the suffragette cause. Mm. She, in fact, composed the theme song for them, The March of the Women. Ooh. Now, Ethel fell absolutely head over heels in love with the leading suffragist, Emmeline Pankhurst. And Ethel's credited with teaching Emmeline to throw stones at politicians' windows in 1912. Awesome. Now, over a hundred suffragists, including Ethel, were arrested for stone throwing. And Ethel spent two months in prison for this. And one day, her friend, the author Thomas Beecham, went to visit her in prison and he saw a bunch of suffragettes marching in the prison yard singing the March of the Women. And Ethel was leaning out of the window, 
conducting them with a toothbrush. Love that. What an awesome sight to That's see. so fun. <laughs> I mean, terrible. They shouldn't be imprisoned, right? But No, I just, cool. but yeah, that that indomitable spirit yep. of like, eat, eat my shorts. Yep. Um, <laughs> we're doing this. Well, Ethel also revealed the terrible conditions of this women's prison. It was infested with cockroaches, including the hospital wing, which is just the last place you Ooh. want a bug infestation. I know. Now, ultimately, authorities decided to let Ethel go early for being, quote, mentally unstable. <laughs> I don't know crazy if, lady. Was, Get her out of here. Okay. I was like, I don't know if it, that refers to her being a lesbian. Uh-huh. And they were like, get her out of this place with all these ladies because <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> or if they were like, oh, she's talking, like, get she's her out of here before yeah. she's going to say more things right. that make us look bad. I don't know. Either there's way. There's no indication that she was actually mentally unstable. Right. And they didn't lock her up in a mental health facility instead. Mm -hmm. They were just like, lady, you're crazy. Get out of prison. Get Go out back of into the real world. <laughs> we don't want you here. here. <laughs> you're too crazy for prison. You belong in society. <laughs> you're too insane for us. <laughs> Well, Ethel Smith also had an affair with Violet Gordon Woodhouse, oh. who lived with four husbands in what was dubbed the Woodhouse Circus. And that uh, is another listener suggestion yeah. that we're hoping to get oh, to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, according to the Queer Encyclopedia of Music, Dance, and Musical Theater, Ethel Smith met Oscar Wilde's older brother, Willie Wilde, on the train on the way to Ireland one day and got engaged to him, like, oh. on the train. Oh. <laughs> it's a very whirlwind sort of thing. But she also broke it off within three weeks. So I wish there was huh. more information about that because yeah. that seems like such a weird, like out of character thing for her to do. She's like, I just really want to be Oscar Wilde's sister in law. Maybe. Maybe that was it. <laughs> like, oh, and then a she wild spent some time with Willie and was like, I, I just don't like Willie. It might be because Willie I, was apparently kind of. A... <laughs> oh, I thought she just didn't like Willie. You know what I mean? Oh, that's She's too. like, I'm not into Willie uh -huh. or Willie's Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Little Willie. He called it Big Willie. He said, this he is Big Willie style. <laughs> <laughs> Big Willie style. It's the Willennium. <laughs> the Willennium. I love it. <laughs> also, at the ripe old age of 71, Ethel Smith fell in love with the author Virginia Woolf. Ah, uh, didn't they all? Who described it as, quote, like being caught by a giant crab. Oh, my God. Virginia has some mean shit to say yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So Virginia did not return this crush, but okay. the two women did become friends mm -hmm. and they exchanged a lot of friendly letters. Okay. Despite the sexism that she was dealing with throughout her career, Ethel Smith was the first woman to receive a damehood for her service to culture. No kidding. So that's pretty cool. But before you decide, okay, great, dust off your hands, women are fine and equal now, just know that Ethel Smith's opera Dervald which was mounted in 1903, uh -huh. was the only opera by a woman composer ever produced at the Metropolitan Opera in New York until more than a century later. Oh. When they produced Kaija Sariaho's L'Amour de Luan in 2016. Wow. So literally 103 years later, they finally were like, I guess this one's good enough for us. Man. I can't believe not a single woman wrote a good opera between <laughs> 1903 and 2016. <laughs> What a coincidence. How weird. Huh. What were these ladies doing? <laughs> Try writing a good opera next time, women. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> let uh, me show you how it's done. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> now I'm angry. All right. Let me let me cool off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to get mad. Right. Let me cool off. Well, these ladies are giving us a lot to talk about. So before we get to Romaine Brooks, Renata Borgatti, and the rest, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. 
Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right. Welcome back to Winneretta Singer's Little Black Book, everybody. Mm -hmm. So starting in 1905, probably right around the time that Winneretta started cooling off on Ethel Smith, she had a fling with the painter Romaine Brooks. And this this is going to be the toughest one to tell you about succinctly because mm -hmm. Romaine just had an insane life. All right. Romaine. Well, first of all, she had a terrible childhood. She had this emotionally abusive mother. She had a mentally unstable and physically abusive brother. So de definitely a rough household. Mm -hmm. um, but her parents ended up fostering her out to another family. But then they stopped making payments to them. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the foster family chose to keep caring for her anyway. Right. Like, you're, you're, we're not going to throw this kid on the streets just because your parents suck. Lucky. Very lucky, because a lot of families might have back mm -hmm. in that day. Or today. So at 19, Romaine sang in a cabaret in Paris. But shortly after that, she got pregnant. She was unmarried, so she placed the kid in a convent. The old drop him off at the fire station trick. <laughs> and she went to Rome to study painting. Logical turn of events. Som sometimes these lives, I'm just like, you're, you're a singer in Paris. Mm -hmm. You drop out a baby, drop him off for adoption somewhere. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to go to Rome and learn how to be a painter instead. I mean, I think it was more that she wasn't married. So maybe people saw her pregnant in Paris and she's like, I need to. Like, yeah. let this cool off. Like, yeah. people think I'm not a respectable woman. Okay. I'm having trouble. Like, I don't know. But I mean, there's I'm a number of reasons <laughs> that I might be like, woof, I really need to go restart my life in Rome. Well. And I can't do it. <laughs> well, Romaine goes to Rome to study painting, and she was the only woman in the life drawing class because it was considered 
pretty unseemly for a woman to be there painting nude models. Right. 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 They're like, the naked body is for men to see, not for women. I always think it's so weird that they're like, oh, women can't handle blood. Women can't handle nudity. And I'm like, but also women are frequently the caretakers of the elderly. So they have to undress them and bathe them. Then we have blood to deal with on a monthly basis. Like, (laughs) you know, I just don't understand those stereotypes at all. But. Well, all the boys didn't exactly make it easy for her in this art class either. One persistent classmate left a pornographic book on her chair open to the page that he said he wanted to demonstrate with her. Check it out, lady. This could be us. I mean... Well, she picked that book up, walked over, and smacked that kid upside the head with it. Yay! Uh-huh. Go Romaine! But he and his friends still got together and stalked her, and then he tried to force her to marry him. Well, she had to get the hell out of there, so she fled to Capri to escape these boys. I wish I could flee to Capri. Same. <laughs> but fortunately, her hard times came to an end in 1901. She went back to America when her brother died. A year later, her mother also died. And Romaine and her sister inherited a large estate. So they were finally independently wealthy. Ah, good. All her money troubles were behind her. Mm-hmm. And she could kind of relax a little bit. <laughs> Which I'm laughing because, like, if I became independently wealthy now, I would say, I'm going to go to Rome and take an art class. <laughs> That's what she did when she was broke. <laughs> she already had that part done. <laughs> right. So then in 1903... Romaine married her gay friend, John Ellingham Brooks. Okay. And no one really knows why she did this, except that he was really broke and he needed the support. So maybe it was just something altruistic on her part. Sure. She didn't really need him. She didn't seem... The same way that, like, Winneretta and Olga needed their husbands. Right, right, right. right. But he was hella broke, so he's like, help me out. She's like, all right, I'll, I'll marry you. But he clearly did not know how to be a good partner, like Edmund and Adolf de Meyer. Because their marriage broke down really quickly. Romaine cut her hair and she ordered men's clothes to wear. And mm-hmm. John was like, I won't be seen with you dressed like that. Oh, wow. And Romaine's like, OK, then you won't see me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Not, not a woman to be trifled with. All right. And he also kept talking about her money like it was his money. Huh. And that made her really nervous because, yeah. again, she had been really broke for a long time. She actually almost died of starvation at one point. Oh, okay. So she was really protective of her funds. Sure. And she, I guess, I mean, he's, we already know he's broke. Like, he wasn't good with money himself. So yeah. She was probably like, I'm seeing a road to destruction uh-huh. that I don't want to go down. So after a year together, she left him and Capri with his boyfriend, E.F. Benson, and she went to London She kept his last name, Brooks, Romaine Brooks, and she supported him with a yearly allowance of 300 pounds, and that enabled him to live comfortably until his death in 1929. Okay. He's like, let me manage your money. All right. She's like, I will send you, I know how, what it costs to live in Capri, okay? Like, here you go. And probably enough to keep him from, like, trying to come after her Mm -hmm. or bug her about more money or whatever. We know that Romaine Brooks started seeing Winneretta Singer in 1905, but there's no details on how long that relationship lasted, or maybe it was kind of off and on, Mm -hmm. or what the deal was, but we'll we'll just throw that in the it's complicated category. Um, But in 1909, Romaine did have a love triangle going on with the dancer Ida Rubenstein. Mm. Uh, She danced with the ballet Russe. Now, Romaine painted Ida more than anyone else. Yeah, put my, my Roman art skills to the test here yep. and paint this beautiful ballerina subject. But there was a politician named Gabriel D'Annunzio 
And he was a good friend of Romaine Brooks, but he was also in love with Ida. <laughs> now, Ida would barely give this guy the time of day because she was so in love with Romaine. Sorry, Denunzio. <laughs> At one point, Denunzio asked Romaine to be his mistress. He's like, why, why don't you and I get together and then I'll be closer to Ida? Maybe Probably, he was even right? trying to get like a menage a trois going on. Mm -hmm. But Romaine was like, no, that's no good for me. I'm into her. Into She's it. into me. Neither of us is into you. You're the only one who's trying to get this thing to happen. <laughs> well, neither of us want to enter the Willennium, okay? <laughs> now, even though Romaine and Denuncio actually got along fairly well, they were friendly with each other, uh, he had this habit of hanging portraits of his ex-mistresses in a rogues gallery, which Romaine found pretty tasteless. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is kind of be like, that sort of trophy room. Oh, yeah. Like, here's all the right? ladies I've banged. I'm like, ah, oh, they're all so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So to kind of tease him about this, she gifted him with a self-portrait. <laughs> one of herself. She's like, well, you can just put me next to all those other ladies, even though you never even got with me. <laughs> uh, it was later found hanging in his music room. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so I guess not in his rose gallery. <laughs> right. He's like, well... I'm not about to not hang up a original Romaine Brooks right. self-portrait. I mean, but that's no. a good gift. Uh-huh, but I'm not putting you in that category. Mm -mm. So she had that going on. Then in 1919, Romaine started dating a socialite named Mimi Franchetti. A year later, she had a fling with Renato Borgatti, the oh pianist God. who would eventually also date Winneretta. We'll get to her in a minute. Um, but her most enduring relationship was with the American expatriate and celebrated Parisian hostess, Natalie Clifford Barney. Oh, my God. This lady probably had more flings than anyone we've ever covered, Seriously. including Isaac Singer, <laughs> which like is a lot. I feel like her name has already come up several times in past episodes. It has, because she's a serial non-monogamist. We talked about her a lot in our Colette series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she made the poet René Vivian miserable by not committing to her. And we also mentioned in the last episode that Winneretta did not like Natalie Clifford oh, yeah. Barney. <laughs> uh, which kind of points to Winneretta being a bit more conservative than maybe right. Natalie. Natalie was a bit more left bank, wild, you know, yeah. really open, very unapologetic. Uh huh. Winneretta was open, but she clearly was more respectable. Yeah, you've got to have some principles still, right? You know, or she yeah. was like, "Well, you still, you still conduct affairs discreetly. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't just walk around. Mm -hmm. You know, like she might have had a little more of a stuck up right. kind of vibe about it. And one Natalie. at a time, please. Unless maybe you're planning on breaking up with one, you can get the other one started. But <laughs> you can get the other one going. <laughs> but Romaine Brooks met Natalie in 1916. And Natalie had already been involved for seven years at that point with the married and very glamorous Duchess Elizabeth de Gramont, who's also known as Lily de Gramont. Okay. Lily got jealous of Natalie's attention to Romaine, probably picking up on the fact that this was probably like a more real connection right. than, than Natalie had with like her probably many other flings that she had in the seven <laughs> right, years they were already right, together. Right. So Lily's like, hey, you know, stop seeing her. <laughs> I don't like that. And then Natalie bafflingly offered a marriage contract to Lily while still saying that she would not stop seeing Romaine. Oh. So she's straight up like, hey, Lily, well, don't worry. You're my you're my main girl. I'll marry you, I'll but marry I'm going to keep flirting with this yeah, girl. Yeah, but I'll still have a mistress on the side. Yeah. Okay. Which, that's reasonable. Which, right? Like that. I feel like that means Natalie kind of had an idea in her mind about what an aristocratic man could do. And yeah. that's what she wanted. So yeah. She's like, I want to be married to my, my woman and have all the women I want on the side. That's what I see men do. I want to do that. Yeah. So, but of course, Lily was probably like, no, the whole point is I want to stop seeing Romaine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why are you talking about marriage right uh -huh. now? Fortunately, all the ladies figured it out. 
They got it all arranged to their satisfaction, and they settled into a lifelong 50-year stable triangle together. Wow. Where nobody was apparently more favored over the other. Like, they really found a really good balance together. Huh. And Lily once summed up their ethical polyamory by saying, quote, Civilized beings are those who know how to take more from life than others. Love it. Which I do love. 100%. Pretty cool. The only time that Natalie ever stopped seeing someone was at Romaine's request. Oh. She stopped seeing Oscar Wilde's niece, Dolly Wilde. Wow. Okay. Um, But apparently it was not so much a jealousy thing as Dolly Wilde was a serious heroin addict. And Romaine was like, I don't like you hanging out with her. She's really drugged up and you shouldn't be with her. Or maybe Romaine was like, look, I dated someone who dated someone who was briefly engaged (laughs) to Oscar Wilde's brother. So you can't date his daughter. (laughs) Uh, This, this, you know, it's like we've been talking about this episode like a spider web Mm because there's all these overlapping romance lines between all these lesbians. Mm -hmm. But it's more like a game of pickup sticks where you just dump (laughs) a big pile of sticks on the ground and you have to sort through them and try and get them in order. I mean, very confusing. I guess there's only so many lesbians, so right, (laughs) you kind of all go through one another (laughs) if you're having so many affairs. I don't know. Oh, jeez. So that's the story of Romaine Brooks skipping over all the cool painting stuff. So (laughs) definitely check out the painting (laughs) stuff when you get a chance. (laughs) So next up for Winneretta's little black book is Renata Borgatti, whose name we've mentioned so many times. (laughs) Winneretta had an affair with her in the early 1920s. Renata was originally trained as a ballerina, but she gave that up to devote herself to playing piano, particularly Debussy, who, of course, we know that Winneretta had a hand in making famous. Yep. Renata lived in Capri, which we've mentioned is, you know, an island off the coast of Italy, and it was known for being tolerant of homosexuality. So it was like literally an island full of gays oh, yeah. and queers. And it's like, let's go live there. She's hanging out with John it's, Ellingham Brooks. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a great island. I know, right? She, I don't feel like I remember a lot of gay activity when we were there, but now I want to go no, back. No, <laughs> when we were in Capri, Honeymoon <laughs> Alert, uh, it, we were there with like a boatload of Americans who like worked in the film industry and they were all super straight. And I know. Right? Wonderfully, very, very kind, nice, lo- kind lovely people. people yeah, we had a great with. time in Capri. Um, um, but it was, no, we were not faced with, uh, you know, an onslaught of the LGBTQ crowd. Too bad. Unfortunately. Maybe there's a really cool Capri pride that no one knows about. Oh, man, yeah. We, well, I guess we'll have to go it. back. Oh, oh, no, we have to go back to Capri. If you're gay and in Capri, <laughs> uh, she just an email and invite us over <laughs> while we come hang out <laughs> with you. So Renata's living in Capri, obviously very tolerant of homosexuality there. So she was able to live openly as a lesbian. And she had an affair with a socialite named Mimi Franchetti for a year until Mimi left Capri and started seeing Romaine Brooks. There it is. Oh, my God. Then Renata had an affair with a married actress, Faith Compton McKenzie, whose husband, Sir Edward Compton McKenzie, wrote a book about lesbians living on a fictional island together called Extraordinary Women. I wonder where he got his inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) They sure were extraordinary. They were. And it's kind of cool that he, like, he apparently, I don't think he had any, like, homosexual tendencies like any of these lesbians' husbands or anything. But he was clearly like, all right, girl, go on, get you you what you need. (laughs) Well, after that, Renata Borgatti went to Paris, and in 1920, she started seeing Romaine Brooks herself. So 
I got to wonder, did they compare notes on Mimi Franchetti? <laughs> like she was like, you know what? I'd hate it. <laughs> right. She never brushed her teeth until after breakfast. Damn. So annoying. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. I know you don't. I don't brush my teeth till after breakfast and you brush your teeth before breakfast. Yeah. Like an insane person. No. Because apparently you love the taste of coffee and toothpaste. No, you don't taste the toothpaste anymore. You just <laughs> don't also drink your coffee and taste your disgusting mouth. <laughs> you know, if you're well hydrated, you don't wake up with a nasty mouth. You, that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? You don't wake up with as nasty a mouth. All right. That that might be true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, if we compare the nastiness of our two mouths, you uh-huh. need a, you need a lot of dental. Watch work. your mouth. <laughs> you watch your mouth. <laughs> I'm sorry, my You're mouth about, is being nasty. <laughs> your mouth is being very nasty right now. You have a vicious tongue. Well, while Renato was with Romaine, uh, she had her portrait painted. It's sure. called Renata Borgatti at the piano. Mm. Very nice. Um, but at that point, Romaine was kind of trying to get her flirtation with Natalie Clifford Barney off the ground. Oh um, so she and Renata kind of saw each other off and on for three years. Then Romaine started avoiding her. Awkward. So Renata gave it up. She turned her attention to the musical patroness, Winneretta Singer. Wow. And they had their fling. Uh, she also started playing with Olga Rudge, who we mentioned last episode, Ezra Pound's mistress who uh, found all that Vivaldi and mm-hmm. helped bring him back into musical popularity or whatever, and also became Renata's musical collaborator. They played together so often at Winneretta's concerts that they were considered house musicians. Oh, man. They all just kept dating each other. It's uh, and, uh, So in and around college and shortly after, mm-hmm. I had a group of friends that was a lot of lesbians. Okay. And I definitely, when they would like, it was my girlfriend at the time, her roommate and sister was a lesbian mm-hmm. and all their friends hanging out. So I was often being introduced and then later told, well, she dated her, but then she, they dated before that. And these yes. two used to date each other. And it was, I mean, like <laughs> they would tell me, it's like the, the joke is real. Like, yeah, that's what I saw. <laughs> there's a joke on the L word, the TV show uh-huh. uh, where she's basically talking about the the chart, like if you charted all the lesbian relationships in a city, there would be no more than four degrees of separation between every lesbian <laughs> because, <laughs> because of how much they date overlap dating. I don't like to fall into stereotypes, but we're reading historical evidence <laughs> that I mean, that support this idea <laughs> right now. Well, after Renata, Winneretta started seeing the socialite Violet Trefusis, who we already know also had an affair with Olga de Meyer. That's right. So just like we said. Here we go. <laughs> now, Violet's mother was Alice Keppel, we've already mentioned, who was King Edward VII's favorite mistress. Mm-hmm. So obviously their family, no strangers to being a bit scandalous. Right. But Violet really pushed the boundaries on that. Now, let's take a quick break, try and sort our thoughts out, <laughs> and we'll come back and untangle this web right after this. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back, everyone. Violet Keppel. Uh, the daughter of Alice Keppel, King Edward's mistress, uh, she was in love with a woman named Vita Sackville West when they were both young girls at school. Violet was only 10 and Vita was about 12. So that young, budding love that nobody really understands yet. Just weird feelings. Now, when Violet was 14, she confessed her love to Vita and gave her a ring. But Vita, who would have been 16 at this point, was already in love with her first girlfriend, another schoolgirl named Rosamond Grosvenor. Mm. But Violet and Vita still had something special. And two years later, at 16, Violet wrote to Vita, quote, I love in you what I know is also in me, that is, imagination, a gift for languages, taste, intuition, and a mass of other things. I love you, Vita, because I have seen your soul. Aww. Also, did you? could you have written that at 16? Could I have written that at I mean... I might have written that better at 16 than I would now, you know, because I was young and full of hope and love. Oh, wow. Also, Vita thought that her girlfriend Rosamond was sweet, but kind of stupid and boring, Ooh. you know, so. <laughs> she's like, I mean, she's not got a lot to say that yeah. I find interesting. Right. They they fell in love as teenagers, dated for a couple of years, and she was like, you know, I think I might have tapped this one out. Right. Turns out she's kind of a basic bitch. Not a lot left in this <laughs> barrel. So Vita and Rosamond's relationship ended in 1913. And that's when Vita married a diplomat named Harold Nicholson. And how's this for ridiculous? Rosamond, her ex-girlfriend, ended up being one of her bridesmaids. You know, I just picture stay Ro- close. They stayed close. I mean, that's true. They did stay close, but it's like it ended because she got married. So I'm just I'm just seeing like this jealous ex-girlfriend yeah. like standing there clutching her flowers Staring a little daggers. too tightly <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> now vita actually went against her parents wishes by marrying harold nicholson because oh. he was just this modest politician right oh okay 
Uh, Meanwhile, Vita herself had a very noble background. She was being courted by incredibly rich dukes and shit. So, you know, they were like, you you need to marry like that guy, the Duke of Marlborough or whatever it was. In fact, she was a bit of a a Lady Mary Crawley in a way uh, from Downton Abbey because she was the heir. She was the eldest, actually the only uh, child from of her parents' marriage, but she was unable to inherit her father's estate because of her gender. Oh, and she was real bitter about that. Okay, which I would be too. So she's like looking to get married and everything. And Harold Nicholson was smart and fun. They had a really good time together. They enjoyed okay. talking to each other, which was not like Rosamond, right? <laughs> and he could also give her something that these fancy lords and dukes and stuff might not have given her, which was an equal. And an open marriage. Oh, enticing. Um, Enticing, exactly. Because Harold Nicholson was also bisexual. Mm, Okay. Here we go. (laughs) I love these two, these these, uh, people really finding each other. Yeah, right. (laughs) Finding the perfect partner. Now, was Vita bisexual, do we know? Uh, Yes. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Mostly she had lesbian affairs, but she did have two sons with Harold. Right, okay, okay. She found it within her to have sex with him at least a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, they both had affairs outside of their marriage. But, you know, they had their two sons together and they became very devoted to one another. Again, like the Polignacs, like the de Polignacs. They Mm. found a lot of companionship and a lot to respect about one another. But Violet Keppel, who, of course, super in love with Vita. Oh, ever since they were schoolgirls, right? Exactly, still was and everything. And they definitely were, they were definitely doing stuff. Oh, you know okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> they were definitely doing stuff. Um, so Violet did not like this separation because again, mm. Vita's married to a diplomat, so they were traveling. They had to go live in like the Middle East for a little while. And okay, stuff, so she's not around, and Violet kind of like freaked out about it a little bit. Like she wrote sort of aggressive love letters to Vita. Oh. One line was like, "You want to see madness? I'll show you madness." Like, oh. like I will drag you back, you know, kind of wow. kind of vibe <laughs> in these letters. You think I'm crazy? I, I got, got you crazy. crazy. She 100% said that. Wow. But in like a Brittany of her 1900s day. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like pleading for her to come back to her and I guess Vita kind of liked that. It's sort of flattering, I guess, to have such an effect on someone <laughs> or whatever. Because in 1917, when Vita and Harold were back in England, Vita and Violet started their affair back up again real hot and heavy. Oh, okay. I guess Vita had also had both her sons by this point. So maybe she's like, I'm good. You have your heir to spare or whatever. (laughs) So I can like do whatever I want. But meanwhile, Violet's mom, Alice Keppel, was busy arranging a marriage for Violet to the handsome son of a baron, Dennis Trefuses. Okay. In the okay. background, she's like, okay. let me get you somebody respectable to be married to. Okay. <laughs> Vita in an open marriage with Harold. Uh-huh. They're both bisexual. Yep. Vita and Violet having a little fling going on. But okay. Violet's mom, uh-huh. the mistress of the king, the king. says, you got to marry this guy, Dennis. That's right. Okay. So Violet and Vita ran off to Monte Carlo together for several months. Like, let's stall this marriage. Mm-hmm. Let's run off to Monte Carlo together. Sounds great. Again, the, the event. I mean, of course you're free in your sexuality when you can just pick up and go to Monte Carlo for a while. <laughs> now, while they were there, Vita would dress like a wounded soldier named Julian and pretend to be Violet's husband. <sighs> Meanwhile, according to the Paris Review, Harold was in Paris writing and signing the Treaty of Versailles. No oh, big know. deal. Dicking around in Paris, <laughs> redrawing the borders of Europe. Right? I'm just going to write the Treaty of Versailles while my wife's off having a lesbian <laughs> affair. So when this little trip to Monte Carlo ended, 
as as all great things must do. And <laughs> Violet and Vita went back to England. Violet finally agreed to marry Dennis per her mother's wishes, mm-hmm. but only if he promised to never have sex with her. What a what a marriage proposal. Interesting. Well, he must have agreed because they did get married in June of 1919. Now, only a few months after their wedding day, Violet and Vita ran off to France again for another couple of months until Alice Keppel, Violet's mom, started hearing so much gossip about the two of them that she started to get worried that it was going to reflect poorly on Violet's younger sister, who was about to get married. Right. She's like, I know, Violet, I know you're out there having fun with your little girlfriends, <laughs> but you've got to think about your little sister. That's right. She's the trying to get married. She don't need a, we don't need a scandal. That's right. So she sent Dennis. She said, Dennis, <laughs> go get your wife. <laughs> That's what you got it. That's your husbandly duty. That's stop. Why I got you here. Uh huh. You're going to put a stop to these shenanigans. Right. Now, encyclopedia.com says that Alice was actually surprisingly reasonable about Violet's affair with Vita, but she thought that her marrying Dennis would, quote, cure her. Right. Mm. So she had kind of an enlightened way of looking at it, I guess, uh-huh. for the time, but still also thought just you need that the right dick will just that, yeah. get you where you need to go or whatever. That, that idea is. of like, oh, this is a fun little phase, but when mm-hmm. you get a proper dicking, All right. you'll 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 understand. <laughs> Which I hate too, because it, it sort of smacks of, oh, it's just a trend it's right just, now to exactly. have a lesbian lover or whatever, but right. she'll get over that and have kids and settle mm-hmm, down and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these ladies keep running off together and causing a lot of talk, you know, yeah. a lot of like scandalous stuff. And then in 1920, it sort of came to a, a head when they tried to elope for real. Oh, Violet like, and Vita? Vita and Violet were like, you know what? Let's shake off all this straight shit and go be gay together for okay. life forever. And Harold and Dennis had to follow them in a two-seater aeroplane. Oh. And basically be like, y'all cannot do this. Okay, Vita, think of your kids. Like, let's not forget Our Lady Seymour Worsley episode where when she ran off from her husband, she gave up her children. Like, right, you, you know, right. that's the property of your husband. So Harold's like, think of your two kids. This is going to reflect on them. This is going to reflect on me and my career. It's going to be poor for your reputation. Mm-hmm. And Dennis is pretty much saying the same stuff to Violet. They're like, oh, like, like after they catch up with them. Because mm-hmm. I, I was I was picturing them in a two seater airplane. Oh, you know, like <laughs> uh, I say, my love. Uh, uh, do come back. Think of your reputation. <laughs> you can't. Can you hear me? <laughs> they were straight up open air <laughs> machines at the time, <laughs> She's right? She's looking so... back. She's like, I don't know. He's shouting something. No, they actually they they caught up with them and then they started arguing. Sure, sure. <laughs> and it was a tense few weeks of them all arguing about whether or not they would go or stay or yeah. stay married or whatever. But finally, Violet confessed to Vita that she had in fact slept with Dennis Trefusis, her husband, one time. Dear God, what were and you thinking? Vita lost her shit. She called it a betrayal of their vows of fidelity. Oh, come on. I mean, okay, like she had two sons with her own husband yeah. already. So it's like, Vita, come on now, I girl. I can't believe <laughs> you you'd cheat on me with your husband. <laughs> oh, that's so I funny. mean, I will say, like, if if that was their understood agreement, 
I mean, if it yeah. was expressed, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sleep with that guy. Right. And then you did. But it's also hypocritical. Right. It's true. So I'd, and we don't know exactly when they made that vow of fidelity. It might have been uh-huh. after, you know, the sons were born and she's like, OK, now I sure, won't sleep sure. with him. I don't know for sure. But it was definitely seem it seems very funny and hypocritical uh-huh. to be like, have your two sons, <laughs> the two little Nicholsons. <laughs> yeah. Be like, how dare you? So anyway, but she did get mad about it. She refused to speak with her for a little while. But of course, they made up and then they ran off together for a final time in 1921. When finally, Harold just threatened to leave Vita for good. He's like, I can't do this anymore. You either want me to be married to me or you don't. I'm going to leave you if you do this again. Okay. And Vita chose to go home to England and Harold and end her relationship with Violet for good. Okay. They did stay in touch and they stayed friendly and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But Violet is still a little bit like, come, you know, please let me be with you. And Vita's like, no, it's over. I'm, doing it's over. The fam- I'm settling into the family thing. Right. Or at the very least, I, I can't be with someone who I'm going to run off with. You yeah, know, like I yeah. can't be this we obvious be open about my flinging. lesbian love right, or right, whatever right. is causing problems in my family. So I'm going to just not see you anymore. Gotcha. Because Vita's next very serious relationship would be another intense, very intense affair with Virginia Woolf. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Virginia Woolf <laughs> pops up a lot of this. Eventually, <laughs> eventually all these girls go and date Virginia Woolf. In fact, it's actually kind of beautiful that Vita... Um, actually kind of helped Virginia heal from the childhood sexual abuse that she'd experienced. no kidding. So she was actually her first erotic relationship. Uh, She actually really helped her, like, kind of overcome a lot of her physical, like, fear and dislike of intimacy and stuff. So that's kind of beautiful about the two of them. Virginia Woolf also wrote her novel Orlando, which is the first novel with a gender-fluid protagonist about Vita. Um, this is, a, I guess, Orlando kind of wakes up in different time periods as a woman or a man. Like, it's always changing gender. Oh, okay. And it it's inspired by Vita, who, like Ethel Smith, kind of wrote about herself as being deviant in sexuality. Uh-huh. But she also was very enlightened in a way where she was like, I just don't think the gender matters. Like, I fall yeah. in love with the person and I don't, the package doesn't, Yeah. I don't know why it's relevant to yeah. the conversation. Okay, interesting. So she kind of had a very modern day thought about gender. That's cool. Anyway, Vita's son, Nigel Nicholson, called Orlando, quote, the longest and most charming love letter in literature. Wow. So they have a very beautiful story we we might want to get to one day because that's kind of lovely. Well, Violet was, you know, still a little heartbroken that Mm -hmm. she and Vita couldn't be together. But don't worry, because (laughs) she moved on to her next lover, Winneretta Singer. Hey, Remember her? not bad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the sort of anchor point to this whole story. Right. Now, Winneretta helped Violet pick up the pieces of her life after this tumultuous affair with Vita by introducing her to the cream of society in Paris. Crème de la crème. This is also when we get a glimpse of what Winneretta was like to date. Because maybe, unsurprisingly, Winneretta was a bit of a dominant personality. She ruled her own life she kind of ruled her lovers as well with a serious will mm-hmm. but some some source and i can't remember which one called it whip in hand oh so okay. i guess she was very like this is what we're doing today this is Iron how we're fist. doing it this is why we're doing it yeah yeah okay, I'll do, okay. We'll, we do what you hey do. look i've been in that relationship and for a while it's great <laughs> <laughs> no hard choices right then you know you lose your autonomy a little bit but it's all right um <laughs> but, but it's all right But this worked out great for Violet um, because she was more submissive. And Mm -hmm. 
they seem to have been pretty content for 10 years together. Mm. Now, Violet's mother, Alice Keppel, didn't even object to this relationship because Winnaretta was rich and powerful and most of all respectable, so there weren't really any embarrassing scenes like there had been with Vita. Now, Winnaretta would never run off to Monte Carlo. Right, like, she's yeah. like, I would not do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, later in life, Violet would split her time between France and Italy, and she wrote some well-liked and acclaimed books. And she got, like, more eccentric as she got older, as the best of us do. (laughs) Uh, One author named Nancy Mitford quipped that Violet's autobiography should be called Here Lies Violet Trefusis, as in she was always lying. She's lying. Clever. Yeah, she apparently had some like weird fantasies and myths about her own life yeah. later on that people were like, hmm. This journalist named Joseph Alsop wrote in his memoir, I've Seen the Best of It, that her, quote, enthusiasms have long since inspired the rhyme, Mrs. Trefusis never refuses. Oh. Dang. Violet. Okay. And he implied that she had a brief affair with the former governor of California, Culbert Olson. He was actually the first atheist governor in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Alsop wrote that, quote, by all accounts, they were much cheered up by one another. <laughs> I love it. Wow. What a, what a life. This is a pretty funny passage, actually, because Joseph Alsop is writing about Colbert Olson visiting Florence with a couple friends. Uh-huh. And his friends, like, got tired of Colbert. Like, they're <laughs> like, he's kind of getting on my nerves. Oh, wow. So they arranged for him to meet Violet. What? <laughs> like, they wanted him to, like, they were like, here, you go Let's hang out with her a for a couple weeks. Give me a break. I mean, you know, that's isn't that the trouble of traveling abroad with friends know, for weeks right? at a time? It's like, oh, man. Oh, crap. Day mm-hmm. four. I actually don't like you that Not much. Really. We don't travel together. Well. Let, me you, let me see if I can get you an international fling to distract you for a while so I can go have some fun. <laughs> well, Colbert sounds like an interesting guy, but they said he had a hyena-like laugh. So maybe it was just the laugh <laughs> that did it. <laughs> I can't. Everyone, please only tell sad stories around him. I know, we just can't take it. <laughs> Do not amuse Colbert. They're all like having a great time at the cafe and Colbert walks in and they're like, oh, 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 oh my, my, my uncle just died. Oh, real tragic. The war, am I right? Ooh, we're having a real bad time. Thinking about that <laughs> yep. real bad time anyway culbert uh this girl called you she's six blocks from here right <laughs> all right well that's violet trefusis okay <laughs> scandalous the scandalous violet trefusis never refuses never refuses but after winnaretta and violet's affair cooled off in 1933 winnaretta started seeing alveald chaplin uh around 1938 oh now, Alveald had married Viscount Anthony Chaplin in 1933. They had one daughter together, but then they kind of both started seeing other people. Sure. So they were not really involved with one another anymore. Now, Alveald was involved with Winnaretta, the Princess de Polignac, until her death in 1943. Mm. So that was Winnaretta's like final affair with Alveald Chaplin. Okay. Um, and kind of glad to know she was dating somebody uh, at the end there. Sure. Um, but Alveald had also met. In one of Winnaretta's at one of Winnaretta's parties mm-hmm. and had totally fallen in love with the writer and architectural historian James Lees Milne, who was also bisexual. Sure. And he had had an affair with Vita Sackville West's husband, Harold Nicholson, in the oh 1930s. God. What was that from back from part? That was 18 names ago. <laughs> <laughs> Harold Nicholson. That's yeah. A- Literally researching this was just like, oh, a name I've heard, a name I've heard, a yeah, name right. I've heard. <laughs> this is crazy. Seriously. So anyway, but in 1949, Alveald and James were head over heels in love with one mm. another. And the Viscount didn't care because he had his own long-term mistress, Rosemary Littleton. 
And actually, for a while, all four of them lived together in the same house (laughs) until the chaplains finally got divorced in 1950. Wow. So just love that. They were like, whatever, just get in here, James. Uh (laughs) Why not? And the Viscount married Rosemary. They had two more daughters. And Alveald and James got married with Vita and Harold as their witnesses. Wow. (laughs) It's like Rosamond being Vita's bridesmaid. Jeez, the crossover events that happen in this story. Seriously. But after these two got married, things seemed to have gotten a little rocky between the two of them. Alveald went off and had an affair with, uh, let me just pull a name out of the hat Uh, here, Vita (laughs) Sackfield-West. Of course. Of course. Which James pretended not to know about, but it did bother him. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I think I dated someone who dated her. <laughs> and then, did I date her? I, I can't even remember. I her husband. Um. <laughs> right, yeah. <I laughs> oh my God. Well, Alveald and James did have an active sexual life before they got married. But afterwards, Alveald kind of shut it down. Mm. says that this added to his struggle to put his homosexual past behind him. This is another guy who's like, oh, if I just find the right woman, yeah, I, you won't know, be gay like, I won't be gay anymore. Yeah. Sorry, that's not how it works. <laughs> right. So then, of course, he ended up having an affair with a younger man. And Alveald got really jealous of that. And she started steaming his letters open and mm-hmm. listening in on his phone conversations. So they just fought a lot. They were both doing the same thing. They both got jealous of it, of each other. And she's snooping around on him now. This is kind of like last episode, we talked about there being no no sexual relationship, but people still getting jealous yeah. because they feel possessive over who they're married to yeah. or, they're, or who they're they're with or whatever. And this is what I was thinking of was Alveald kind of being like, I don't want you like that anymore, but you're still my husband and I don't like that you're seeing someone else. Yeah, so she even, was having a really hard time with it. Even though we're not sexually involved right i still feel like we're committed like mm-hmm. there's some sort of unbreakable yeah. partnership between us that you're violating right uh, it, i mean which honestly just comes down to a sense of ownership that yes. sometimes people feel when they're in relationships even when they're not committed relationships mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily fair not really by the 1960s these two were living pretty separate lives and alveald purchased a house called ardley grange and started working on this garden she had been inspired by Vita Sackville West's gardens. Alveald's garden ended up being so acclaimed that she became this sought-after garden designer and landscape expert. And she had clients like the Queen of Jordan and uh, another soon-to-be ridiculous romantic, Mick Jagger. That's right. By the 1970s, James and Alveald repaired their relationship. And Alveald nursed James through a serious illness in the 80s. And he devoted two years to caring for her until her death in 1994. That's nice. It's so weird to me that we're talking about these old, old stories. And then they go right up to the 90s. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, that seems like a crazy long time. But, you know, it's like a normal amount of normal human life. (laughs) I know. It just tells me that, you know, 1920 and 1994 historically are not that far apart from each other. And also that 1994... It was a long-ass time ago. <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> All right. Well, we know, you know, Winneretta has has died by this point. So that's the last affair of, of, yeah. her, of her life. Um, but, of course, Virginia Woolf has come up a numerous times in this story. She sure has. Um, we did mention in the last episode, some scholars think that Winneretta and Virginia Woolf had an affair. 
While others think she just admired Virginia, admired her writing, thought she was a cool lady, whatever, and they just became friends. So there's no, not a lot of detail or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but last time we mentioned that Virginia Woolf had written some kind of mean things about Winnaretta. But I found the full quote, thanks to at Dyke Another Day on Twitter. <laughs> what a great handle. <laughs> an incredible handle. <laughs> and the full quote is, Whatever she was born, she's grown into the image of a stately, mellow old Tory. To look at her, you'd never think she ravished half the virgins in Paris. Oh, okay. So okay. out of context, it sounds like she's saying she's ugly. Yeah, exactly. But, but it sounds like it's more about maybe Winnaretta being a bit more traditional than, yeah. than other than she, like she, Natalie Clifford yeah. Barney and stuff. It's like if I see like, you know, some stodgy old businessman, I'm not going to be like, in the 80s, that guy fucked everyone in the East Village. He pulled. You know? Yeah. <laughs> he pulled, man. <laughs> No, I think that's true. So that that kind of makes it a little different. I when just just the part about to look at her, you'd never think she ravished half the virgins in Paris makes it sound like she's like, Ugh, look at that. Ugly uh, right, you know? right. <laughs> Virginia Woolf. Well, if anyone knew, it was her. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So yeah, that is all of Winnaretta's lesbian liaisons that we know about, and all their stories, and all their stories, and the tangled tangled lesbian web they weave. <laughs> Do you think that Winnaretta ever met Caress Crosby and Harry Crosby? Remember them? Remind me for the, for, for the listeners. Um, Caress Crosby, of course, is the woman who invented the modern brassiere. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Um, if you remember. And yeah. she and her husband, Harry, were like big uh, and he loved photography mm-hmm. and like they had that printing press, I think, I believe in Paris. Oh. Um, so I, I think that they, they were sort of in similar circles. I don't see why not. But anyway, yeah, but they were like very rich Americans yeah. too, so they might have gone back to America more often. But I just wondered, I was just thinking, I was like, we have so many people in 1920s Paris, uh-huh. and they're all artists, and they're all, you know what I mean, crazy sexual deviants. <laughs> so it's, I just you know, It is the weird thing with history where, you know, what we have is what was written. And of course, all these people in these circles are writing about each other. Yeah. So it feels... Probably smaller than it was, is my guess. Because at times it feels like, well, between Paris and Capri, there were 18 people. And they were all (laughs) sleeping with each other. And that's all there was. When in fact, like, there's probably so much more happening that, Mm -hmm. you know, in in little separate cliques and circles of non-writers. Right. I wish we could find out all the lesbians that were farming Mm -hmm. in... Yeah, all the lesbian farmers. Italy. All those uh, spinach farmers or whatever they grow in Italy. <laughs> well, what? But uh, it's just wild. It's. I'm glad you were able to get it down to something condensable. I hope it. I hope that everyone followed it because it was definitely <laughs> a lot of names, uh, a lot of the same names over uh-huh. and over again. But years later, yeah, fascinating stuff. I hope y'all enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, send us a list of all the people you've slept with. We'll oh, read it on air. Wait a minute now. <laughs> we want your full name <laughs> and location. Or just let us know what you thought of the episode. We'd love to hear that too. Preferably. Yeah. Uh, you can shoot us an email, ridiculousromance at gmail.com. Right, or we're on Instagram. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. And quick thanks again to Seth Batts for suggesting Winnerita Singers since we got so many great episodes out of her life. Yeah. Hopefully, if you have some good suggestions, you can send them our way as well. Either with the email address to our Instagrams or to the show's Instagram at Romance. 
Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you all in the next one. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.